We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is a July 9th episode, and as always, we answer those fantasy football questions to help you win your draft and win your league. I'm Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rand. Today, we have one of the co owners, senior fantasy analyst here at Rotoviz, Dave Cabin. He is the host of the Rotoviz flagship pod on Rotoviz Radio. He's a fantastic fantasy mind. He's so smart behind the scenes, does so much for the top site in fantasy football here, Rotoviz. Follow him on Twitter at Dave Cabin, FF Dave, annual guest, annual visit. Welcome back to the mailbag. Hey, how's it going, Mike? Uh, love the introduction. Thrilled to be back, as everybody knows, I've always said, I think every time I come on, that part of my summer tradition on Fridays is to make sure that I listen to the mailbag, so it's always great to come on and talk with you. Oh man, you always give great insight too, and there's so much going on. This is where things pick up. You and I both alternating here on vacations, trying to get everything squared away, and this is where we start making our money because the rumors become truth, the rumors become fiction, and so let's dive right into it here. Rotoviz, the home of the mailbag, one of the key sites for all fantasy football analysis. Rich Rebar came on the pod last week. He talked about how so many of the great fantasy minds earn their stripes here, cut their teeth, if you will, at the Viz. So talk about some of the great changes and the updates we have to the site. Really just the home of everything you would need to dominate your fantasy leagues. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of the big changes that we rolled out recently are we have a new way that we're just displaying the rankings on the site so now if you want redraft you can go to a redraft rankings tab on the site and then toggle back and forth between different scoring methods with our hope being that regardless of what league you're in you can find some rankings that reflect that specific league we have that for dynasty as well and then Curtis patrick and i spent a lot of time coming up with a new way to actually rank players from a dynasty perspective so we've started using a system where players are scored uh, by what we believe their value to be in draft picks. And we have a system for it. So now when you go and you look at our rankings for Dynasty, you're getting players ranked, but with scores that will help you determine how we view their draft value. And 
or their trade value in dynasty leagues. And that is going to help you make much more informed decisions, not only when you're drafting, but perhaps when you're evaluating trades. Um, and when you're trying to compare what the distance might be between two players. So we're really excited about that. And the other thing that's awesome is we partnered up with sports info solutions, and we're now going to be offering advanced data, um, you know, some advanced metrics from things that are happening on the field. But what I'm really excited about is we now have a lot of data at our disposal about formations, personnel groupings, how certain players do against certain defensive looks like Curtis and I have started talking about this on the, on the flagship show. And there's just so much data to dig into. I can't wait to start writing some in-season articles based off of it, because I think that the analysis that we're going to be able to provide our readers on a weekly basis, it, like this is going to be game changing stuff. So I'm super pumped about what we're going to be able to put together in terms of tools and articles because this data just gets super granular. There's so much we can do it. And then, you know, as as you alluded to, we've had so many people in this industry get a start at Rotoviz, some of the top minds in the industry. And I'm also excited because we just brought on a number of new writers. Uh, readers of the site will start to see their work trickling out. And we have some things coming up down the pipeline that I'm really excited about. So, you know, as always, just a lot going on at Rotoviz. Really looking forward to getting into the nitty gritty now as the season is approaching in earnest. And uh, I just can't wait to get back into playing fantasy football. Yeah, Dynasty, the purest form really of fantasy football because you have to analyze things longitudinally, not just within one year. So those trade values are essential. What is the value of a veteran player who's got a couple years left? Which are the rookies or the young players that could actually fetch more value in the trade market? Just one of the many great tools here at Rotoviz. Another tool that we have, Dave, is the suite of apps and tools for best ball season. How are your best ball teams looking so far this year? Have you followed zero slash anchor RB <laughs> as Sean and we all preach here? What's your strategy here for best ball so far this year? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Um, when I'm playing best ball, I tend to be a little bit more loose with it, and I, I don't take it quite as seriously as I do like a redraft or a dynasty league. So I like my teams at this point, but I've been kind of just exploring, playing around with putting teams together in different ways, just kind of for the fun of it. Uh, and But I enjoy doing best ball drafts because I like seeing where my competitors as we start getting into redraft season might be selecting players and seeing the ups and downs. I will say though, that if I were to be really focusing on trying to win, I definitely would be emphasizing an anchor running back strategy, yeah. and then also sprinkling in some zero RB teams. And, you know, you talked about the tools that we have. So we have the roster construction explorers Love it. that let you yep. really analyze the different ways you can put your teams together in terms of the number of players you have at each position, but also when in drafts you're taking these players. And there's some really powerful insights. So one of the things that I have found really interesting, for example, is teams that draft their RB3 before round seven aren't getting into the 9% win rate region. Uh, you know, of course, there's some balance to things and how you can put your teams together. Uh, but like, that's a crucial stat because you can also look at things and see like teams with nine uh, wide receivers that select their RB3 before round four, for example, of an 8.9% win rate. Uh, you contrast that with something like taking your wide receiver before round six and your tight end one before round three. Those teams historically have a win rate in the 13% region. 
Um, and these are things that there's really no way you can intuit that without using the tools. So like I've been looking a lot at making sure that my teams are also getting tight end ones before round three um, into my teams and going kind of that avenue. So not only have I been focusing when I'm doing these drafts, Mike, on getting that anchor running back really going hard at wide receiver, but also building in those tight ends that could finish, uh, especially in FFPC where I've been playing these teams, uh, you know, really at the top of the leaderboard thanks to that tight end premium scoring. So, you know, one of the things that I recommend to if anybody's out there playing best ball, you pop into the roster construction explorers, you look at the different makeups of teams and how you can construct them. And you might be able to find five or six really good configurations. Then depending on what draft spot you get, because that's going to largely dictate how you put your team together, you can kind of react and have a roadmap laid out for you. So just a lot of fun using those and workshopping different ways of constructing your team. Yeah, roster construction for FFPC leagues used it last year. Did a ton of them, Dave. Invaluable. Talking about when, like you said, you get that first wide receiver, when you can get your second and third running backs, why you're going to avoid that middle sort of dead zone. The tight end is critical. It really is, especially this year. There's there's Kelsey, there's Waller. People have talked about Hawkinson, but there's Kittle. How's that going to be now with everyone returning and possibly a rookie quarterback? And of course, Kyle Pitts, someone I was not on board for, but I think <laughs> Dave, now I have to come around because his target share is going to go up with Julio not in town. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was interesting when I was um, working on my projections for Atlanta because I was like trying to hold back my enthusiasm for Pitts. I wanted to go nuts, but I tried to approach it like I normally do with projections coming out with something that feels like the most reasonable, most likely to happen scenario. And I think he finished for me somewhere around tight end nine, which people might look at as kind of disappointing, but keep in mind a rookie tight end finishing in that range is absolutely phenomenal. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Totally agree. This could be the year of the fifth year breakout wide receivers, Dave. I'm going to call this the Devontae Parker Award. I want your thoughts on fifth year <laughs> wideouts from that draft class that you think could have a big year. So I'm just asking, how do you think they're going to do this year? Let's start with Corey Davis now on the Jets. Yeah. So <laughs> I have to say, I am not a huge, a huge fan of any player being on the New York Jets Same. as we head into this season. I mean, not the ideal spot to be put into. New coaching staff, new quarterback. I still think that Corey Davis could carve out a target share that gets him to around 120 targets. Maybe he scores six touchdowns. Uh, but that is not the type of thing that is going to really get me enthused in comparison to the other names on this list. I see him scoring maybe in the 17-game stretch around like 200 fantasy points. So I think he could still have relevancy here and there, um, but I'm not sure that he's going to be a player that is able to get fantasy drafters as happy about having selected him as he did last year for comparison. What about in LA with the Chargers, Mike Williams, always a jump ball guy, good enough to get those three touchdowns at Kansas City, Dave, that just sort of messes up DFS lineups, but really is in a situation now as the X receiver with Joe Lombardi coming over as offensive coordinator from New Orleans. I think he could have a big year. What say you about Mike Williams on the Chargers? So this was a conflicting one for me too, um, because I felt good about Mike Williams. I like him. You know, when I was hosting the flagship with Matt Friedman, Matt Friedman has long held that Mike Williams is a really good receiver, has made a very compelling case about how he might be more on par with Keenan Allen than many people give him credit. 
and I see the Chargers as a team that will pass frequently. However, when I go through and I look at the target shares, uh, it's hard for me to get Williams beyond like 115 targets. I can see him scoring around seven touchdowns, but still kind of landing in that 200-point range with Corey Davis. So while I would like to see Williams really take a step forward, playing with an awesome young quarterback in Justin Herbert, maybe acclimating to a new coaching staff, uh, I was disappointed with where I got him in my projections. And he's one of these players that when I play with the inputs and try to shoot him up in a material way, I have trouble finding realistic ways that it can happen, barring, you know, Keenan Allen going down for the season. What about Curtis Samuel? Is the Swiss Army knife going to now become fantasy relevant? I remember, Dave, a couple of years ago, Cam Newton firing a bomb to Curtis Samuel on Twitter in July, and people went nuts. Never really has gotten to the point that we thought he could. Super athletic guy. Now on Washington, Fitzpatrick there, McLaurin, all this stuff. What do you think about Curtis Samuel now in Washington? So <laughs> this one's a conflicting one, too. Because I love Curtis Samuel. I actually have found myself in just about every draft I've been in this year wanting to select Curtis Samuel. So he's going to be on a very high percentage of my best ball teams. And my gut is telling me I really want to draft Curtis Samuel. You know, as you mentioned, the Swiss Army knife in my projections, I actually have him scoring a rushing touchdown. Maybe he's able to accrue about 200 yards on the ground. I am really hoping that Washington uses him very creatively like we saw Carolina start to do. Uh, the problem is I think that his target total comes in around 100, and some of that has to assume that he's able to usurp some of the work that we saw go to J.D. McKissick last year. Good point. Um, so there's, but I think he should do it, but the problem uh, kind of comes down to is that for Samuel to kind of repeat what he was able to do last year, you have to have the team using him creatively and play calling and making a point of emphasis. And I think that a level of volume that he might not get to is going to be needed for him to burst into that wide receiver two region. So when I guess, you know, when we're talking about a breakout, maybe he kind of broke out last year, but I think it's going to be hard for him to take a step uh, this year that really pushes him into that trajectory reflected in how many times I've taken him. So I'm holding out hope. Um, but when I when I work through the numbers, it's hard for me to think that uh, we see him fat, farly outpace what he did last year, even if he's going to be entrenched as the number two. And the last one here, he's on the intro to the show. You talked about him in the Road on the World Draft Kit also. Juju Smith-Schuster. Hard to believe, Dave. In, in some ways, he's been here for 10 years, it feels like. But Juju now, up and down. We saw Ben with all the ice on his shoulder. He appears to be the third option, although not by, by target and receptions. What do you think about Juju in his fifth year? So I think most people know historically, I have been an immense fan of Juju Smith-Schuster. Um for so many reasons, you know, the precociousness that we saw from him, how well he was able to perform early on in his career. Obviously, it's been somewhat of a disappointment since the flashes that we saw early on. I do believe, however, that Juju is the player that separates himself out of this list. Uh, the main reasons being, yes, Ben Roethlisberger is not what we saw earlier in his career, but it looks like Pittsburgh has adapted to the way that they're using him. The that could, help you, that could help it, Juju. That could help Juju. Yes, exactly. You know, lower A dot throws now being used in a different way, but of the receivers on the team with Claypool, Deontay Johnson, 
and of course Juju. I think you're going to see similar target shares, but I think Juju is going to get the targets that are the easiest for him to not only convert into receptions, but just to accrue, you know, consistent production. So even though the way that he's going to use might be kind of changed, as you said, I think it's going to be good for him. I still think we see him score around eight touchdowns, get to about 134 targets. Even with a low dot, he's in a different sphere where my initial projection for him is putting him somewhere around 240. And what I also like is with the way that I expect the Steelers to game plan, he's not going to disappear. I think that he's going to be an unexciting player that manages to kind of compile, and it's odd to say it, but he's kind of stepping into like that mold of what, or, or at least from a fantasy lens, how I would have viewed Jarvis Landry maybe three years ago. You know, oh, nothing sexy about it, but he's going to get it done. That so good, I, I, I like comparison. him the best. I like yeah. that comparison to Jarvis Landry. Last year, 97 receptions. That was seventh among all wide receivers. Number one also, Dave, in slot snaps. So he had yep. an 82% slot rate. So keep that in mind. Going to be a very secure sort of target share there for, for Juju. And I think last year he ran, if it wasn't more routes than any other wide receiver, was top five. So the usage is just going to be there. He's going to be on the field. He is going to get it done. You know, I don't think that you see him with a high amount of upside, but I feel good about his floor. So love Juju. Question here from James and Parsippany. Thoughts on John Gruden, Dave? He has improved with the Raiders, 4-12, 7-9, 8-8 and via record. Difficult to see him cresting 500 this year, even with those 17 games. James has questions about Carr. Draft picks have been head-scratching. Every year I feel like I, I started this year doing the prediction on the draft, and every time it, everybody puts their picks in, when the Raiders make a pick, everyone just rip, you know, sort of riffles through the paper saying, who's that guy? So the question is, how many years do you give Gruden on that 10-year deal before he gets on the hot seat? Is it hot? And what do you think here about Gruden out with the Raiders? <laughs> so this question cracked me up when I read it because um, my father-in-law is obsessed with John Gruden. And for years, <laughs> you know, we've just been going back and forth. And he talks about how, you know, great of an offensive coach he thinks he is and, you know, the mind that he has. And I keep pushing back saying, you know, like maybe 20 years ago, but things have changed. Um, so I think that we see Gruden keeping this team somewhere around 500. And I don't hate, you know, if we kind of think about this from a fantasy lens, I actually don't hate Derek Carr. Um, actually, I think he's a decent choice in one quarterback leagues this year. You know, last year he was 17 in PPR per game. He was a quarterback one more often than Matt Ryan, um, which I look at things like that. And I, I try to talk myself into getting encouraged about the Raiders, but it just doesn't look like a team to me that can really make the next step. So I think we see another season of Gruden getting this team around 500. We've seen the organization and Gruden make some odd decisions. Um, and I think that it's going to be next season where we start to see the higher ups for the Raiders realizing that they're not going to be able to take the next step. So maybe the seat isn't too hot this year, but I think by next season it will be. I'm trying to enjoy some outdoor drinks here in the summer. Salt or no salt on the margarita? So get this, Mike. I have actually never had a margarita. Oh, I gotta I, make one for you. Oh. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like not like I, I you know, sometimes uh, will indulge, but I didn't come from a family where uh, you know there was a lot of drinking going on, and, and I don't know how, but I've just never been out with anybody that ordered up a margarita. So. I don't know, but my guess would be, I think I would go with salt. What do you like? I love it. I love the garnish. Okay. We we had some tahini with Connor Allen, which is a sort of a spice from Mexico. Absolutely. Dave, when I see you and meet you, I'm going to make you a margarita, my friend. <laughs> that is the first drink. And thank you for, like I said last week, 
bringing me back every year like Kramer on the locks. I'm waiting for you to change the doors here to the road of his mailbag, but that will be my <laughs> thank you drink, the margarita for sure. All right. I love it. That, that sounds awesome. Curious with best ball. Where are you with quarterback in best ball? That's really my question. Who do you find yourself with a lot of exposure to early quarterback? You know, do you get one of the big ones depending on the structure? If you wait, does it have to be Konami code? We talked about that with rich. Give me a quarterback that you find yourself exposed to here in best ball. Yeah. So the quarterback that I have been finding myself getting a ton of is Ryan Tannehill. Yep. Some of that is a function of that generally he's available at a point in the draft where if I'm looking at the wide receivers, there aren't many difference making receivers that are going to get into my lineup at that point, the running backs, I'm not really that interested. I normally have my tight end. So I feel like going ahead and taking a quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, who was a QB one in 60% of weeks last year, I see scoring five rushing touchdowns this year, still having enough passing production that he finishes as a low end QB one. It just makes sense to me to go ahead and select him there. I think that you get a decent balance of some Konami code production. While I don't think that Tennessee is ever going to be a team slinging the ball all around the field, it still positions Tannehill in a way where he's going to be useful and I think make a difference for my team. Um, So I, I have ended up with a pretty good portion of him and I feel pretty good about it. Dave, can you make sense of some of these teams for us that that seem to not have a great projection in terms of wins and losses? Let's start with Detroit. Dan Campbell's talked about biting kneecaps. Today he was saying he's not going to wipe anyone's fanny. Where are you with with Detroit? TJ Hawkinson, of course. The question is, is he really an, a, a high-end tight end one? The wide receiver core, bizarre. Brashad Perryman, Terrell Williams – Amaras St. Brown is getting some play. And of course, the question is, what is the share between DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams? Where are you at in Detroit? Where's the value here? Oh, boy. So I will preface by saying I really like TJ Hawkinson. I think he is going to be one of the top tight ends across the next four or five years. Having said that, though, the rest of the team, Detroit is an absolute mess, I think. Maybe Campbell comes in. Uh, they're able to turn things around in a couple of years. But I think that you have a team right now being anchored behind a quarterback that needs the right coaching system. I am not sure that it's going to be with Campbell in Detroit. I don't see things meshing early on, especially when you have that wide receiver core that you pointed to. So I had been making the case for Detroit's wide receivers back in the beginning um, of the spring, thinking that one of them would have to emerge and get a significant amount of target volume that would propel them up. After really digging into the numbers, I'm not so sure that I'm that enthused about taking a stab on any of them. The other thing that's really problematic for me is when I work through my projections, I think it's very likely that Detroit has one of the lowest rushing volumes in the league just because they're not going to be in a position where they can run. So though I have Swift getting 74 targets, I think it's very possible he gets under 200 rushing attempts, and that's with him significantly out uh, rushing Jamal Williams. So I think it's very likely that we see Swift being a low-end RB2. There's a number of factors that have to go right for Swift to match where many people think he could land and where some drafters are taking him. So the summary really is, I'll take Hawkinson. I think that rest of that team is a mess, though. 
It's a brilliant point. Listen, you don't want him to turn into James White. I understand he's going to get some rushes, but so is Jamal Williams. James White has succeeded on a superior amount of volume. You want DeAndre Sip to get some rushing yards and some goal line rushes. Imagine for a second, Dave, if Jamal Williams gets the goal line rushes, I think fantasy Twitter would explode. <laughs> Mike, that's a great point. I, I, you know, like I hadn't even mentioned that and on top of that like do we even think that Detroit's going to be in a lot of goal line situations maybe not so you know I think that your caution there is 100% accurate what about Jacksonville and here at Rotoviz we are all in on Visca Chenault of course I think Colin Kelly did him for the draft kit as well DJ Chark Marvin Jones really good weapons and you can get Trevor Lawrence very very late Dave in, in drafts has the rushing upside no one's talking about I did read a story recently that James Robinson is going to be if you believe the reports, of course, he is going to get a lot of the early down work. Travis Etienne there as well. Thoughts on Jacksonville? I think that the value in Jacksonville and the player that I will be selecting is going to be Trevor Lawrence. The price is still pretty low. Um, when I look at the receivers, I think that the receivers, there's enough talent that it can allow Lawrence to be successful, but it's very hard for me to predict how any of the players get used in that offense. So as a result, I'm going to stay away from going after Chanel, Marvin Jones, and Chark, even though I think that one of them probably finishes as a top 36 receiver, but it's just hard for me to know who, who it's going to be. So I'm just going to avoid that and take the chance on Lawrence being able to use those players. Perhaps he is as good as he looked in college. And as you mentioned, I think we see a lot of sneaky production from him with his legs. So when I look at the prices that these players are going at, even with ETN going as a low-end RB2, I think Lawrence is how I'm going to try to get uh, my piece of Jacksonville. That was Pat Fitzmaurice's bold prediction. Loves Trevor Lawrence. Last one, Dave, the mess of a team in Houston. Brandon Cook still there. Randall Cobb there. Nico Collins drafted. Deshaun, who knows if he's coming back. Thoughts here on Houston. Is there fantasy value? <laughs> well, I have been approaching this team in my mind under the assumption that we do not see Deshaun Watson this year. I think that's the easiest way to approach this team because it seems to me at this point to be the most likely thing that we see. The only player that I'm really interested in is Brandon Cooks. Uh, he's in pretty intriguing to me at an ADP of wide receiver 41 because I think even without Watson, he's a player that sees around 130 targets, could go over 1,000 yards. We've seen the track record that this guy can play. It's easy to forget about him as a guy that has moved from team to team to team, has had some points where he's missed stretches with some injury, but he has been a pretty good player. So even if Watson doesn't play, I think that Brandon Cooks is a player worth going after with an ADP of wide receiver 41. Do we see him finish as wide receiver one? No, but there's definitely enough volume that he could easily outplay that uh, wide receiver 41 ADP, still a big play threat. So I like Cooks, but the rest of that offense is, is a dumpster fire. What's something you can't wait to do now that we are finally coming out of COVID? <laughs> well, I'm actually doing one of those things right now. I'm actually up uh, at my parents' place up north in New Hampshire on Great. a lake camp with my family, um, which has been awesome. Uh, so I would say that's one of the things. And then the other thing that has just been cool is, uh, you know, there's just a lot of like kids activities now uh, in my town that are back on. So my daughter's had a lot more that she's able to do now, you know, than she was eight months ago. So that's been awesome. Beautiful. You got a breakout player for us, someone in 2021, you think this is going to be the year. Okay. I actually uh, kind of 
first thought of two players that were rookies, but I said to myself, I don't know if that counts as rookies or rookies can count as breakup players. I will say, I was going to say Najee Harris, Jamar Chase, no surprise there. The other two players uh, are Jalen Hurts and Irv Smith. Curtis and I have talked a lot about Jalen Hurts. Irv Smith, I will focus on here and highlight quickly. A lot of it, what comes down to is I think that Minnesota is a good team. Kyle Rudolph's gone now. I think that Irv Smith, very talented. He's now going to be in a position where he could control 14, maybe even 15% of the looks, get some touchdowns when Minnesota's in the red zone. As a result of that, and given the scope that we see or the, the group of players comprising the top ranks of tight ends, I think that now Chase, uh, Irv Smith falls into that group or maybe he's like the sixth or seventh tight end when I uh, worked through my projections. Uh, I always have liked Smith. I thought he was really solid coming out of Alabama. Things have set up. He's now been in the league a couple of years and he's, he's my breakout player. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk about the Tampa Bay offense. How do you look at them? So potent. Super Bowl champs. Brady pulls the strings. Rojo Fournette in the backfield. Godwin, Evans, Antonio Brown, OJ Howard coming back to join Gronk. Where, what do you value in Tampa Bay? Because there's so much opportunity. And last week, Rich Rebar threw out the fact that he thinks maybe all of them will disappoint here because it'll be spread so evenly, the production. What do you think about Tampa Bay? So I got to be honest. I actually think that we see Tampa Bay come out, pick up where they left off, and actually take a step forward. I think that these wide receivers crush. I think that there's going to be – it's going to be hard to know when it's going to be a Howard week or a Gronk week, but I do think that both of them do well enough that they're relevant. And to get back to the wide receivers, I will first start off by talking about Tom Brady. I think that we see nearly 40 touchdowns from him this year. I think he could easily lead the league in passing yardage. He came up fifth in my projections. The range of outcomes out has him at QB3 uh, in, commen- you know, in conjunction with that. It loves Godwin. It loves Edmonds. 
I think we see that continuing. I think this team's going to throw the ball a lot. I don't know what to do with the running backs, but I even like Antonio Brown because I think that Antonio Brown's going to score a high amount of touchdowns. I think that Brady likes to distribute the ball to him. I think it's very possible, Mike, we see um, both Evans and Godwin in the top 24 and Brown in the top 36. I think Brown could even be a player that surprises. Uh, so though I understand there's a lot of places to distribute, I think that this pie is actually going to be so big that we see it able to sustain these three players. The final thing I'll leave you with is we did see Tom Brady as he was in that Buccaneers offense getting more comfortable. Uh, his average yards or his passing yards per attempt in the first half of the season were seven yards. That jumped to 8.3 uh, in the back half of the season. Obviously, we know how he looked and how the team was functioning in the playoffs. I think we see them pick up, and I am really expecting this team to carry that momentum forward. So I want the wide receivers, and I really want Brady. If you can nail it right, I mean, you're going to get so much production with Arians. And I, I think the better move, like you said, is to handicap it, find the value, and go with it. Difficult to avoid, especially with Fournette and Rojo, because they are dropping a little bit. Sometimes the vagueness helps us with ADP, and they're dropping, which then I think, Dave, creates value, no? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it definitely could. I think for me, it's kind of because I'm such a wide receiver-focused drafter, and since I feel good about Tampa Bay, that's where I try to want to capitalize. Mike, I actually have a question for you, unrelated, but hearing you talk about this, I know you are a huge college basketball fan. Yep. Uh, that is a sport that is changing every year. There's so much to keep track of. You have all of this football knowledge. I actually have been meeting the athletes. Like, how do you do it? How do you keep track of all this stuff? Number one, Dave, it's having a great wife. Not going to lie about that. <laughs> and number two, I have found that there's a marriage between fantasy football and college basketball. There's an overlap there. And I would tell you, I struggle to sleep around November and December. But once you get through that, there is a, a flow that continues. So that's really it. I have friends that are baseball fans. And I actually, Dave, spent $450 to watch the Yankees win the World Series in 1996 out in the bleachers, but my baseball fandom has dropped off since then because I just don't have any room in my brain for other stuff. So like occasionally I'll hear friends talk about it. I have buddies who are huge hockey fans. Sounds good. I'm supporting you. But for my brain, we have fantasy, we have college hoops. That's all I got because it's year round. Yeah. Well, hey man, I think it's impressive. I mean, honestly, like I, I don't know how you do it. Like, uh, and I think I hope people realize when they're listening to this, I honestly think you're one of the best in the business. You're crushing on the podcast. And just the, the college basketball thing just amazes me because it's such a fluid sport to keep up with that in the football. I just don't know how you do it. It's fun. It's about competitions, right? That and then this <laughs> this coming week on vacation, I'm going to be playing with my father-in-law in golf. And Dave, I better let him win. You know what I mean? So outside <laughs> of that, I need the competition somewhere. And this is where it comes from. It's fun. Oh, it, it's fun. It. It's, it's Nirvana. It really is. What would not be Nirvana, Dave, is going on Fear Factor. I am not a big snakes guy. I also do not like flying. My friends have joked the movie Snakes on a Plane is my idea of hell. I'm curious if you are on Fear Factor, what's one thing that would cause you to say, you know, I'm out of here? Yeah, no, for me, it's snakes as well. I do not do snakes. Um, I have continually said that if I were to move out of New England, I would only be going to states or considering states that have very low snake populations, particularly poisonous snake populations. Uh, and on top of that, I routinely check in with this map 
uh, with global warming and climate change, you can look at a map of the U.S. and you can see this slow creep of snake populations more and more north. I oh my told goodness. my wife, if it starts to approach Connecticut, we are we are moving up north. We might even have to go to Canada if these snakes start approaching New England. Oh, I'm with you. I'd be I don't want to track that at all. I, I would much rather I mean, if I had a choice, I would much rather track Brandon Cooks, who's been my nemesis for years in <laughs> fantasy analysis than that. Oh, my goodness. My son just posted today, rainy day here in New Jersey. We posted a Mario Kart Wii video, okay? So I yep. used uh, my Twitter connections to get people to support. Everybody was overly kind. What's your favorite video game growing up? Uh, oh, boy. I had a lot of um, – I really liked sports video games. Probably not a surprise to people out there. Uh, it's close. I really enjoyed a game on the original Nintendo called Bases Loaded which was yes. really interesting. It was oh. one of the first ones behind the, where the, yeah, you were behind the pitcher, which was interesting. There's that floating hand, the fake players. So I, I, you know, I have like all of the players from that game memorized. I often think about what a waste it is that I have these fictional baseball players and their stats in my mind. But my favorite, if I had to choose, was Bill Walsh College Football from 1994. Oh, an man. absolutely awesome game. Oh my goodness. That, there's a lot of nights coming back from school, sitting down with a couple beverages in me, Dave, playing that. That's a great call. <laughs> great job by you. Thank you very much. This came up on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to use it for the rest of the year. You have a favorite spot to pick in seasonal leagues? Yeah, I actually love being at the turn. So if I'm the first Same. pick, second pick, I'm cool with that. If not, I like to be, you know, 10, 11, or 12, preferably. 11 or 12, the reason I like it so much is it's easier for me at that point to not concern myself with the thought of, I want to get Curtis Samuel, is he still going to be here? If I want the player, I line up the two guys. I like being able to make a selection in unison. It helps with the roster construction, getting two guys in the same spot. It also takes away the uncertainty of what my opponents might do, knowing that it's kind of out of my control. So it removes some of the game theory you might need. Uh, so those are my favorite spots. Uh, I often find, too, that um, I just get my best teams when, I, when I'm able to put them together in that way. It just works for me. Yeah, I like being able to corner the market a little bit. And, of course, this year, I'm sure you're in Scott Fishbowl. Third-round reversal is going to throw everything off, Dave. Yeah, it is. So actually, I got um, – I never – put in like a pick preference. I like to get it. I, I think it's fun to get it random. I also like to maybe save just a, a fraction of work for Scott by not putting that in. Yes. But yeah, this third round reversal on a special league like that, I am still trying to wrap my head around it. And I don't know if I, if I, we'll be able to come up with like an intuitive way to approach that. So it should be a lot of fun. I think the move Dave is to try to have the middle so that you don't have the situation where you're, and I just lucked out with seven. I do the same thing. Scott does such so much amazing work, folks. Fantasy cares, go donate for him, uh, toys for tots. But I got pick seven. I'm happy with it because I feel like there's not going to be a ton of space between the picks at any time. Yeah, that's actually, that's probably a brilliant way to uh, try and try and deal with this. <laughs> I like that. Time, my friend, for redraft lightning round. Let's go half-point PPR formats. Do you like Nick Chubb with the Browns or Najee Harris? Do you like Nick Chubb still has to share with Kareem Hunt to a certain extent or Najee Harris, unproven rookie, bad offensive line, but certainly looks like he's going to get the volume? Yep, these guys, it, it's really, really close. I will default to going um, with Chubb. 
CeeDee Lamb going at wide receiver 13, Amari Cooper going at wide receiver 14, this is FFPC ADP, or Michael Gallup at wide receiver 36. Lamb has now passed Cooper, who's done it every single year as the veteran. Michael Gallup hanging out, people are ignoring him. Where do you go here in Dallas? Uh, I think that I go uh, with Cooper. In a lot of the different things I've looked at, I, I get a compelling case for him remaining as a wide receiver one. Some of that might be because we didn't get to see the full season of CD with Dak last year. If you ask me for 20, well, let me just put it like this. I think redraft next season, I would say it's going to be CD. I'm going to give Cooper one more go at it, though. There is a right answer to this. I'll warn you. TJ Hawkinson <laughs> at tight end five or Tyler Higby at tight end eight. Oh, no hesitation, uh, Hawkinson, oh. a million times over. <laughs> you know, it's very fair. He's going to get the volume. I have some obscene love for Tyler Higby, and I don't – I get it because when Gerald Everett wasn't there, he performed. I think what's happening, Dave, is I'm biased because I think Stafford with McVay is going to be that gift with the guy with the rocket up his rear end going straight off the pier up in the air. I, yep. That's really my bend. But, yeah, Hawkinson could very well lead Detroit in targets, correct? Yes. But I, I will give you this. So Higby, actually, when I went through my projections, ended up getting a pretty significant amount of work. He's not that far off. And I was surprised to see him. I think he finishes like my tight end seven or eight, which surprised me. Uh, but it did make me realize there's probably a compelling case for not souring on Higby and actually selecting him as a tight end one this year. And I think that people are going to be a little weary of him, uh, you know, given some of the disappointment. So maybe he's, a, you know, like a post-type sleeper. And last one, quarterback, Joe Burrow looks to be healthy, has a ton of weapons. Jamar Chase, they played fast last year, Dave, when he was healthy. Or Aaron Rodgers, listen, I understand, and we don't like uncertainty in fantasy football, but Aaron Rodgers, he's now not going as a QB1. I mean, this is a guy, if he somehow magically shows up and starts week one, you can pencil in, Dave, for 33 touchdowns and five interceptions, whatever it is. Would you take a chance on Rodgers or would you go with Burrow with all the weapons and what seems to be a fast-paced offense? I go Aaron Rodgers here. Um, I, I know that there's a lot of uncertainty. I don't know how to quantify it, but in my mind, I still think it's more likely we see Rodgers playing. Keep in mind, if he doesn't go back to Green Bay, maybe something happens and he somehow ends up somewhere else. I haven't really been paying attention to it, but what it comes down to for me is if I do go with Rodgers, I'm still getting him as my QB 13. It's at a point where I feel like the opportunity cost I'm giving up isn't too great. If it doesn't work out, he doesn't play. I then just go and get, you know, a Derek Carr or a couple of quarterbacks and I mesh things together and I'll be okay. Or as you said earlier, Trevor Lawrence. I think it's a great strategy. In dynasty rookie drafts, Dave, you have a later round rookie pick, round three or later, that you think could have an impact this year in redraft. Rookie guy, <laughs> round three or later in dynasty, who you like? So I have been a JV and Hawkins fan oh. throughout the entire time. He's a player I've talked a lot about. Got very, very worried during the draft, Mike, when I saw him go undrafted. The yep. reasons that I like Hawkins, which I will recap here, came down to I have a metric at Rotoviz called breakaway rush score. Uh, one of the more predictive metrics that we have for running backs, sometimes it's been more predictive than speed score. It's on par with just about everything I've looked at. JV and Hawkins crushed in that metric, had the highest number or had the highest score of any player in the class. Love to see that. 
Love to see him contributing early on in his career at Louisville. Super exciting runner and just so athletic. He's one of these players that can turn the field. He's on the left side of the field. You think he's going to get tackled. Next thing you know, he's breaking a run to the right. He has that, you know, dynamic ability. Now you're getting him in this offense where there's not a clear RB2. There might be questions about the RB1. I think it makes sense for him to get used. Now, he did not catch a lot of passes when he was in college. He has the body size where he profiles as a player that should be used to kind of spell that workhorse running back, get involved in the passing game. But the thing is, the scheme that they run at Louisville where he played his college ball, they do not involve running backs in the passing game. I, From research that I've done, there's a lot of people that think that he can catch the ball. You put this together, I think we see him get into a situation in Atlanta where they're going to need to rely on him. As a result, he's going so late. Uh, but has a decent chance of actually being a weekly usable player in his offense because I think the team might need to turn on him. To me, he really has profiled as one of these players that just needs to get a chance. Once he gets that chance, he's going to capitalize. I can't guarantee it, but I do feel really good about Hawkins. If you don't believe in Mike Davis, which we understand he looked like he got tired last year after coming in for Christian McCaffrey with the Panthers. If you don't believe in Mike Davis, this is an offense with the Falcons that's going to have explosive plays. And JV and Hawkins absolutely could be that guy. So if you like Davis, fine. But if you don't, I think it's a great point. He's a guy you keep an eye on in seasonal leagues. Maybe you pick him up on a flyer if you see him getting a couple targets behind Davis hoping for an injury. Uh, I agree. I think it's a great call. I really liked him. 5'9", 183, scat back, but certainly has the explosiveness in him, which a lot of undrafted free agents don't have. And we saw it last year with James Robinson, right? I mean, I know they don't profile their different types of players, but the undrafted explosiveness, that's dangerous. Yeah, you know, and the other key thing here is that lots of times you can hold the undraftedness, just made up a word there, against the player but i mean you could tell atlanta was all you know like this seemed like something that was intentional and i think that this is a case where it feels like they were addressing a need and as a result i'm not going to let that cloud my picture of him the other player that i actually found and i'm curious what you think about this mike is terrace marshall uh because i think he's a player that has the at the talent level that he should be viewed as one of the top wide receivers but goes on to this depth chart where it looks like he's pretty clearly the third player but he's got the touchdown scoring ability it's possible sam darnold's better than we think and i actually feel pretty decent about carolina so as a result you know his adp has been depressed by a couple of things but it's possible that he's as talented as just about any other wide receiver in the in, in this class one of my guys dave i made a mistake putting him in the first round because i was stubborn Love Terrence Marshall. Loved him at LSU. Yes, I understand Carolina. I like Sam Darnold this year. You never know. There's an injury to Robbie Anderson or DJ Moore. He could move up very quickly. 4-4-5 speed, 6-2-205. He's in that LSU tree where they always produce Justin Jefferson, if you will. In Dynasty, he's an automatic for me. I have to have Terrace Marshall, and I'm keeping an eye on him for redraft. I love his explosiveness. Absolutely agree with you. That's my guy. Oh, my goodness. Nice, nice. Love when we are on the same page. Last question, my friend. You're on vacation. You're living the dream. Go get yourself an IPA. <laughs> Give me the Dave Cabin bold prediction for the 2021 fantasy season. The floor is yours. All right. So this is one of those where, like, I'm not sure if it's bold enough, but I think that to some people it would be. So my bold prediction is that neither DeAndre Swift or Cam Akers finish as top 
18 running backs, meaning we see them maybe at like, you know, both of them at like 18 and 19 or something like that. I talked about my concerns with Swift, uh, with Cam Akers, a player that historically I have loved. I see him getting like eight rushing touchdowns going over, uh, maybe even over 1,100 yards. I see the Rams being a good offense, running a lot of plays. But the problem is I only see him getting around 33 receptions, which might feel okay. But when you start looking at some of the other backs and the target volume that they're going to get, the amount of receptions, with that extra game too, it starts to kind of become material that I don't see him getting a lot of looks in the passing game. And that's enough to actually swing him down in my rankings. I also think that though there were signs that he could completely phase out Daryl Henderson, I just don't see that happening. So absent of me being entirely off base and Cam Akers getting like 72, 73% of that workload there, I'm worried that he's not going to be as much of a smash as people think. So my bold prediction is that Swift and Akers let down, both of these players let down their, uh, the, the owners that drafted them in, and, uh, you know, they bring a lot of disappointment in 2021. Uh, two superb calls there. We're going to keep track of that, Dave. Great job as always. Folks, Dave Cabin on vacation, co-owner, senior fantasy analyst here at Rotoviz, the biz, if you will, host of the Rotoviz flagship <laughs> pod on Rotoviz radio. Wonderful person, great guy, great fantasy mind, does it all for the leading site here in the industry. Dave, a pleasure as always, my friend. I'm doing a virtual cheers to you right now. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, As I've always said, love the show. Looking forward already to getting back on uh, here next year and chatting up with you. Can't wait, my friend. And uh, and you owe me that margarita. So someday we're going to make that happen. With salt. We're doing (laughs) salt. You got it. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.